Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Drees Beat, Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Morning, Keith. Half hour late today. Half hour late today, and, and we've got it's an unusual day because we've got an 11 a.m. COVID briefing that we'll be bringing to listeners mm-hmm. live here at the top of the hour, and we're expecting it to be generally focused on like hospital numbers, right? Yeah, uh, Adrian Dix um, uh, said that earlier this week that there, yeah. the focus would be on hospitalization, who's uh, who's in hospital, length of stay. You know, interesting in Ontario, they're now reporting hospital cases two different ways. One is the sort of direct. Uh, COVID-19 cases, people who come to hospital ill with COVID-19, and that's why they're there. And then there's also what's called incidental cases, which are people who show up at hospital to get a surgery or treatment for a broken leg because they were skiing or something, and they they have to go through a COVID test, and they test positive for COVID-19. We haven't seen that breakdown in BC. In Ontario, it's about a 55-45% split between direct cases and incidental cases, so hopefully we'll get some information on that uh, today. And again, the usual stuff, I would assume, how many unvaccinated people are in hospital versus vaccinated people, that type of thing. Yeah, when you go into hospitals, so let's say you go in for an auto accident or whatever, are you is everyone automatically tested for COVID pretty, when you show up? Pretty well. Yeah. Not not all procedures, but if you if there's any invasive uh, um, treatment, surgery and such, you are tested for COVID. And what's interesting, if if you do test positive for COVID, my understanding in various hospitals, you're moved to a different type of ward, a COVID ward, and that puts a lot of stress on some healthcare workers, getting reports that. Uh, uh, two nurses for 30, 30 patients, for example, because suddenly everybody's testing positive for, for COVID. Delta is very much still uh, uh, out there in terms of a variant of concern infecting people, but Omicron is really just so pervasive in terms of it just infecting so many people. It'll be interesting to see what our incidental rate is. Okay. In terms of the hospital system and its ability to, to cope with the, the, the surge of COVID, where are we at with that? We talked briefly on on the show yesterday about this. And I spoke to a guy named Kev, Dr. Kevin McLeod, mm-hmm. who is who is just an awesome doctor at Lionsgate Hospital. Yeah, no, I've talked to him, and uh, works in the COVID ward there. And he made an interesting point. He said, "He said, look, you know, yeah, th- this is a real concern about people ending up in hospital with COVID. But keep in mind that when you look at the entire number of people who are in hospital for anything in British Columbia, COVID cases are around five percent. Yeah, right. So why are we? Why is it such a crisis that you know that, that this threatens to overwhelm the healthcare system or whatever?" If it's only like 5% of the hospital case. So it hasn't overwhelmed the system yet. And so that's the concern. So as of yesterday, my briefing I got yesterday, I think we were at 9,500 beds occupied. And I think we've got 9,900 beds. So we're not, you know, before the pandemic, before COVID even, you know, was was even thought of, we would routinely do stories on hallway medicine. You're, we're always on the edge, right? We're always on the edge. Yeah. We were at 102% capacity before the pandemic began. Yeah. So we're nowhere near what we were. So even with. a 5% surge in cases from COVID has, is, a, is enough to you know, create well, big problems. The, that- the concern is it's not the bed capacity that it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming the staff, the frontline yeah. healthcare workers. Right. That's, the, that's the concern. 
And it's a, it's a double-edged thing. One is that Omicron is infecting staff, uh, healthcare workers. They stay home because they're sick. That puts more pressure on the workers who remain on shift. We lost 28,000 shifts last week. And that means that doesn't mean the work disappears. It just means the work is is suddenly put on other people, and so uh, nurses, frontline workers, are working twelve hour shifts because mm-hmm. some of their coworkers are off sick with Omicron. That's where the pressure comes. It's not on the bed capacity. It's more on the staff. Okay, expecting a lot more details on this at the top of the hour with the news conference coming up here, and we'll bring you that live on the show today. That's at 11, just after 11 a.m. Let's go back to the saga that we've hit every day this week and the Novak Djokovic uh, (laughs) saga in Australia. So the latest here now is the Australian government has cancelled his visa again. Yes. Again. So they cancelled it once. He appealed it in court, was overturned. Now they've cancelled it again. So they're trying to kick him out again, which you basically kind of predicted earlier in the show or earlier this week that I don't see you, how you any... like the, the, the politics of the thing there's a lot of pressure on the Australian government to kick him out right well yeah I mean I don't see how any government can support a pampered self-entitled multi-millionaire athlete to lie about his status uh, whether it's immigration or vaccination and then to uh, uh, afford him an accommodation that is denied to the average Australian. So, no, no surprise that they denied his visa, and I think it's going to be a popular move at home. Well, it appears to be because there's been some polling done in Australia that a large majority of the public there wanted him out. In fact, you'll hear about that here in this clip. Let me play this here for you. This is uh, Andrew Castle, uh, analyst in conversation. He's a British, former British number 1 tennis player himself, uh, now an tennis analyst. Speaking about the Djokovic visa cancellation with Sky News here, have a listen. Lots of political pressure and public pressure to come to the decision that they have uh, on health and good order grounds and because it's in the public interest to do so. Um, it wouldn't have hurt that the, uh, the News Corp uh, poll uh, that was done yesterday suggested 83% of Australians wanted to see Novak Djokovic gone. The, the perception was that he was acting as though there was one rule for him and another for, for other people. Okay, so 83% of Australians pretty, wanted him out. Pretty decisive. Yeah. And Andrew Castle put it very well. You know, thinking there's a rule, a special rule for him and not for everyone else. So yeah. I think it's a no-brainer move by the Australian government. Also, it seemed like sentiment turned a little bit against Djokovic after some of these revelations that sort of dripped out through the week, like that you touched on there, that... He had tested positive for COVID back in Serbia in December, his exactly. home his home country, and he attended some events. And, Fo- photo op with kids. Yeah, you know, even after he had tested I'm, positive. I'm and he had sure. some inc- incorrect information on his visa application, too. Yeah, he, so. he claims his agent or something filled it out improperly. But then you weigh it with his other wacko opinions about, you know, turning wastewater into healthy water through the power of thinking. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I don't think public sentiment was ever on his side, but it just worsened for him. Uh, in, it seemed to get worse for him through yeah. the week. And now he could still appeal. I mean, he could launch another appeal. He's not going to play. You know, we'll see. He's not going to be we'll in the see open. what happened. We spoke earlier today on the show to Ian Payton, the liberal MLA in Delta, and we talked about the Massey Tunnel, the chronically congested Massey Tunnel story you've covered for a long time. <laughs> and remember that the previous liberal government, Plan A, was to build a 10-lane bridge over the... Fraser River to replace the Massey Tunnel. The NDP scrapped that. They're building another tunnel instead that won't be built until 2030. Now, the Liberals dining out on that one this week saying, look, if we had built that bridge, it would be open right now, like it would have been opening maybe this week. 
Yeah, no, it's a great issue for the BC Liberals to dine out on, as you say, uh, for quite a long time, for eight years. <laughs> They're going to be able to dine out on this thing. Uh, I'm not sure the bridge was the, was the greatest option, but uh, again, uh, this is a, an issue that's bedeviled governments through the years. How do you deal with this this chronic um, bottleneck that just doesn't just seems to getting worse and worse in the tunnel. I'm not again. I'm just intuitively think building a tunnel in an earthquake zone. I'm not sure how smart that is, but that bridge, you know, had its supporters, but it had a significant number of detractors. In yeah, that was going to cast a shadow. Uh, literally, that was part of the analysis of why the bridge went south is because it was so huge and massive. It was literally going to block the sunlight from communities in Richmond, and that's why Richmond. Yeah, they didn't like a lot. A lot of people didn't want that on the no. skyline of Richmond because no. it, it was going to be the the biggest huge. bridge in British Columbia. So have a listen to this. This is Ian Payton, the Liberal MLA, on this topic, speaking to me earlier today on the show. Put it this way: the way things are configured now, with rush hour and the um, counterflow lane. You know, you really have uh, only three lanes moving forward at one given time during rush hour. And one is for HOV only and buses. So you really aren't gaining anything with this eight-lane tunnel over what's existing right now in the old tunnel. Yeah, so the point he's making there is that the existing tunnel is four lanes of traffic, but they've mm-hmm. got the counterflow measures, right? So it's three lanes going one way, in depending what, in what yeah, part of the day it is. Yeah, that's a knock on it. That it doesn't really change anything at rush hour. Ex- uh, exactly, because now they're building, like, they're going to have six lanes of traffic, two rapid bus lanes mm-hmm. in an eight-lane tunnel, so six lanes of traffic, so three each way. So he's saying, like, you know, you're not really increasing the capacity that much through the tunnel in the oh, with, maybe, a, with a, another tunnel. Yeah, that that's been the knock on the on the tunnel concept since since day one. It yeah. doesn't really change fundamentally the traffic flow. I wonder at the end of the day you're going to build a tunnel and a bridge. Yeah. <laughs> Just you know, do both do of them. Do both of them. Okay, well, you, here's one thing I'm watching for. We talked this week about Kevin Falcon and went whether he ends up as the liberal leader here next month, which I think he probably will. And he told me on a show a couple months back that if he becomes liberal leader and then maybe become becomes premier, he doesn't rule out canceling the tunnel and going back to Plan A. Well, can't build the bridge again. There's a long way to go before Kevin Falcon becomes. Well, crazy. yeah, and I'm not sure how much work will be done on this tunnel replacement project by the time the next election rolls around. I mean, this thing has been a slow grind in yeah. terms of any shovels in the ground. And I, again, I don't expect a lot of work to be. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Done. Yeah, it's Baldry's Beat. Phone lines are opening. Lots of calls here. Philip and Pitt Meadows. Go ahead, Philip. Yeah, I just want to say you guys are like the new Till and Macomb. I really like you guys. Cool. Um, Thank you. Great. And, and the other thing, just before I give you a quick opinion on the bridge and tunnel, I believe that the future of our society depends on you guys being real-time fact-checkers because just because people have an opinion doesn't necessarily mean that it should be aired when it's wrong, completely wrong. I believe that uh, it should be a bridge, not a tunnel. Mm-hmm. I think the tunnel is insane. I don't know what, what you know, it, it, we need to, at some point, we need to be able to get decision-making out of politicians and get it into experts. 
Okay, thanks for the call. Yeah, again, I, be, given the slow progress of, of this project, uh, don't rule out a bridge in the future. I mean, you know, Kevin Falcon could be, win the next election. Who knows? I mean, we're still a ways away from that. But uh, we really haven't made much progress on the tunnel replacement aspect of this. So it's, a, it's an ongoing conversation. Well, the other thing is they are going. the way they're going to build this new tunnel is they're going to sink like a concrete tube mm-hmm. to the bottom of the Fraser River. They're not going to tunnel under the river. They right. sink a tube into yeah. it, okay? And you think about the environmental impact of that. Oh, yeah. Like if, you know, some environmental law lobby group gets a hold of that and challenges it in court, does that hold it up? Well, ex- I, I exactly. There's an environmental element to this that it really hasn't been addressed yet. Yeah. Erica in South Surrey. Hi. Hi. Hi there. I lived in Richmond for over 40 years, and I also worked on number six roads for many years. The problem with what they need to do is put a bridge, extend Night Street, free, Night Street Freeway, put a bridge in there, widen the tunnel. The Liberals wanted the bridge because they wanted to bring bigger freighters down the river to load up the dock in Surrey. And the mm-hmm. tunnel, they, with the existing tunnel, they have to stay with the smaller ships. That the congestion of getting out of Richmond is ridiculous when it starts staggering. Okay, thanks for the call. You're breaking up a little bit there. there. Um, One thing thing that was never explained, as far as I know, with the 10 lane bridge is how you funneled all that traffic onto the Oak Street Bridge. Well, yeah, as I mean, one of a caller po- brought that point up earlier. It gets brought up frequently yeah. that maybe it doesn't solve the congestion problem. But, you know, waiting another eight years before you do anything about it isn't going to do anything either. And that's how long it's going to take to build this new new tunnel. Problem. Dave and Surrey. Hey, Dave. Hey, guys. I cross the tunnel quite a bit, but I, I take the Alec Fraser more because now they have that new zipper counterflow thing going. So four lanes mm. um, with, with rush hour, which makes it pretty easy. Um, but back to the back to the bridge. I mean, there's not really not a lot of people living around the tunnel anyway. It's mostly industrial farmland. Um, there's a condo development right where Fantasy Gardens used to be, but that's pretty much it. I mean, most people live farther west, down towards Beeson uh, and stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that's a bad argument that's going to block people who live around there because it's pretty it's pretty quiet for for people living around right. there. Okay, Dave. Thanks for the call. Well, I think the, the argument for the bridge was there was a proposed new development to go in there in the shadow of that bridge, and that was one of the knocks on it from the Richmond residents. Let's go to Howard on the line in Poco. Hi, Howard. Oh, hi, guys. I'm in the same situation that you guys were in, meaning my first shot was Astra, my, my second shot was Moderna. Tomorrow I get my booster. You know, ideally I like to get a Moderna, but... You remember how the situation came up when everyone was had different vax? Do you know what they're offering at the Italian Cultural Center, or can you have a choice? No, I don't think you have a choice. I don't think uh, most clinics don't have both Moderna and Pfizer. Generally, one Moderna has been the driver, uh, the the racehorse here uh, for the last few months. That's been our bulk uh, of purchases. It's not uh, uniformly, but Moderna, by and large, has been the the booster dose for most people. But Pfizer is also there for some people. So I, you're going to get the dose that you're take the dose that you're offered. It doesn't really matter. I think some people are being offered a choice, though. I talked to a, b- a buddy of mine said he went in to get his well, his some, booster, and they, they said, which one do you want, basically? Yeah, I, I, I went in for my booster. It was only Moderna, and yeah. some of my work colleagues went in. It was only Moderna, but I think it varies from clinic to clinic. Okay, let's go to uh, Chris on the line in Langley. Hi, Chris. Hey, guys. Just a couple things about the tunnel uh, bridge situation. Um, what the, the, the liberal MLA is a little bit disingenuous in is, is talking about how not really going to change anything with the tunnel 
if you have four la- or three lanes open and an HOV lane going both ways, then by the time you get to uh, rush hour traffic, it's already being alleviated. It doesn't allow it to back up. The other thing is when they put the counter, flay lo- uh, counter lane uh, in, the other side is one lane, and it's just complete yeah. gridlock. It shouldn't be because there's not that many cars. But no, you're right. You're, you're right. One. You're right about that. I mean, yeah, okay, thank you for the call. No, I was just going to make the point that, okay, look, it's a four-lane bridge now, or it's a four-lane tunnel now. Mm-hmm. They're going to build an eight-lane tunnel to replace it. That's obviously better. But here's one of the things that, that I think is crucial. That bridge that the Liberals were going to build was designed to put rapid transit over it. You could have mm-hmm. put a SkyTrain over that bridge. Yep. And you won't be able to do that with this tunnel. So to, to me, that's you're giving up a big opportunity there to expand rapid transit in the future over a bridge. Yeah, but I, you know, you could argue this both ways. I mean, there's so many downsides to the tunnel, but there's so many downsides to that bridge. It was such a massive bridge. We're not talking about a you know a Knight Street bridge here. This was a ten huge lanes. bridge, ten lanes funneling into the Oak Street Bridge. So again, I'm not sure either project is going to be welcomed warmly by residents or by commuters. I'm sure we'll talk about it again in the future. You think so? I suspect we will. Thank you, Keith. We'll talk about it for the next eight years. Yeah, okay. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.